side of it. All right, so anyone know what uh, series we're in? Road trip. All right. We're in the third week of the road trip series. In fact, my family and I took a little road trip Friday. Here's a picture of us taking our road trip. There we are. Look at there's Trevin. Trevin is actually driving too these days, which is crazy. So he drove part of that. Um, and then Mary's up there. And then here I am uh, working on my sermon. In fact, I have a foolproof. You might want to take notes. A foolproof two-step process for getting carsick. First, you must sit in the back seat, and then second, work on your sermon while sitting in the back seat, and presto, it works every time. Oh, jeez Louise. But I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We're on week three. I believe the Lord has a word for all of us today, so buckle up. Here we go. I want you to know this series, the topics that we're covering, they're not by accident. Hopefully none of it's by accident, but we were very intentional as we walked through what we were going to do this summer. Every topic, in fact, um, we, we came up with it. We didn't steal it from nobody, anybody. We knew that the Lord was wanting us to spend some time this summer, serious time, teaching all of us how to travel well. You might want to write that down, that God wants to teach you how to travel well. If the Christian life was a journey... The Bible wants to show us what it looks like to travel well. Because the Christian life, I don't even have to explain this to any of you, the Christian life is not an easy road. Can I get a witness? Right? I mean, it's a good road. It's a beautiful road. It's a road that leads to the ultimate destination, but it's got more bumps, curves, dead ends, detours than most of us ever thought there would be when we first started out on the trip. But there's a lot of instruction, isn't there, in the Word of God about the journey. The first week, if you remember, if you, by the way, if you didn't listen to the first week, go to our podcast and listen. But the first week, we saw that if you want to begin the journey with Christ, that you must first count the cost. Everyone say, count the cost. That you gotta be willing to give up everything to be a disciple for Christ. Last week, we saw that we all start as infants. Say, I started as an infant. And don't you know there's grace in the mess? You might want to write that down, grace in the mess. But, by the way, as much as God loves us in our mess, He also loves us enough to not let us stay that way, that He actually wants us to grow to be like Jesus. Today I want to show us how easy it is for all of us to lose our way on the road trip. And we actually wander, and we actually get lost way more than any of us would like to admit. Sometimes it's because of decisions that we have made. Others, it's because of something that someone or something has done to us. In fact, let's go ahead and watch this together. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. No, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a lake there. I think it knows where it's going. This is the the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for a lake turn. Right up. Are you okay? 
it's so true. Sometimes we get off course because often, let's be honest, it's our own decisions, but sometimes it's because we let somebody else or something else get us off course. And this morning, I believe that God wants to show all of us that if we give him permission, regardless of why we wandered, God is faithful to get us going in the right direction again. But before we go any further, would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've already been doing in this service. And we declare once again, you are worthy of it all. And I do pray, Lord, that we would get aggressive in our worship, that some of us, we're, we just need to allow you to come and break through, just break through our reasoning, break through our rationale, break through our intellect, break through those barriers, uh, just break through, Jesus, where we would be set free to worship you, God, to say you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. And so you are worthy today. Speak by your holy word. We are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, well, I grew up, first 17 years of my life, Presbyterian, and then I also was a part of a Baptist church plant in Wyoming, so I've spent a lot of my life growing up singing hymns, and I love singing hymns. One of my favorites is probably, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You guys ever heard of that one, right? Come Thou Fount. Probably, uh, if I'm honest, when I was a little kid, the reason I liked it was because it talked about Ebenezer. Now, I had no clue what an Ebenezer was, but I knew that I loved the Mickey Mouse Christmas story with Ebenezer Scrooge. So if it's got Ebenezer Scrooge in it, then it's a good song for me. So there we are. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But there was one part that maybe didn't mean so much to me when I was younger, but when I started singing in college at that Rocky Mountain Baptist Coalition Church it meant a whole lot more to me. Maybe you've heard this verse. In fact, if you know it, sing it with me. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I am constrained to be Let thy goodness like a feather Bind my wandering heart to thee I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, and take and seal it. And seal it for thy courts above. Did you catch that? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but Jesus... Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it, seal it for thy courts above. You don't need to show your hands on this one, but you ever wander off the road before? Yep. Now, there's various degrees of wandering. You hear those stories of people who have left the Lord, ran from the Lord for years, and then they came back to him. But I think for many of us, our wandering is a little more subtle. Church, I wander much more than I would ever like to admit. Maybe you can relate. It's 2.30 on a Tuesday afternoon. I know I should go right, but I go left. It's 6.30 on a Thursday evening, and I should be gentle, but instead I'm harsh. It's a Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and I should be serving, and yet I'm demanding to be served. Can anyone relate? Sometimes our wandering off the path is so obvious, other times... It's not as noticeable to the world around you, but yet you know it, you feel it. It is not the path that God has for you. But you know, regardless of what your wandering looks like, there's many reasons for wandering. Some of us, we wander because of discouragement. 
You ever been discouraged where you just, you're discouraged about as you look at your life, as you look at the circumstances of your life, and it just feels like too much. And so you use discouragement as an excuse. Discouragement is the excuse that you use for not reading your Bible. It's the excuse you use for not going to church, for not going to a life group. It's the excuse you use for not seeking the Lord. And slowly, day by day by day, you begin to drift. And your spiritual muscles, where they once were so strong, they begin to atrophy. And you become gradually spiritually weak. For some of us, our wandering comes from a place of offense. You ever wandered because of offense, right? You take offense to something that has happened to you. And whether that thing done to you was appropriate or inappropriate, our response to what happened, it has allowed bitterness to take root and bitterness to begin to grow in us. And don't you know when you live from a place of bitterness, bitterness is very effective at robbing us from the joy of walking with the Lord. And so we wander. Or maybe it's an addiction. Illegal or legal. So often as human beings, we become addicted to things. Things that steal our best hours, days, months, even years away. Whether it be video games or pornography, alcohol, work, you name it. These are things that have distracted you from your devotion to Jesus. And so instead of spending that quality, rich, good, deep time with Jesus, these things have taken you off course. Then others of us, let's just be honest about this one. Some of us, we wander because we want to wander. Some of us, we wander because we're bored. You ever been there in your life? We wander out of boredom. Others of us, no one wants to admit this, but come on, you're still kind of worldly. You're wandering because you're wandering after the things of this world. You're not content. You're not satisfied. And so you're chasing after things and you're chasing after people, anything other than Jesus to make you happy. Because don't you know the grass is always greener on the other side. The list is long, very long for the reasons that we wander off the path. But I want to spend time today simply on this. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. God loves the wanderer. God absolutely loves the wanderer, and he is so good at bringing them back to him. So good. I mean, just think about it. Throughout the Bible, whether it's Adam who's hiding in the garden or God pursuing Jonah. Remember Jonah trying to run after, uh, run away from God? God pursues him. You remember God restoring David, even after those terrible things David has done. An adulterer, a murderer, God pursues him. God's heart is always to bring back the wanderer. He's been doing it for a long time. He'll continue to do it until he returns. But then how? How does he do it? How does God bring back the wanderer? Of course, there's several different ways. We don't have time for all of them. We're just going to cover two today. The first one is this. God, God brings back the wanderer through his son. God brings back the wanderer through his son. Listen to this one. This is Jesus. He's telling us a story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. You heard this one before? It's pretty good. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He has this incredible ability, Jesus does, to chase after those who have wandered from the fold. You've heard me say this before, but Francis 
Thompson, a poet, a famous poet, he describes Jesus as the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven. So even as we run as fast and as far as we can from Jesus, he's still there. He's still pursuing us with his love. You can't escape Jesus. Have you noticed that one yet? Psalm 139 declares, O Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know it when I'm sitting down. You know it when I'm standing up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and you see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. And I love this last line. He says, you know what I'm going to say before I even say it. See, you can't escape his presence, can you? He sees it all. He knows it all. He's everywhere, omniscient, omnipresent. And so he knows where to find you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He knows where to find you. Have you noticed that? Anyone else notice that in your own life? In some of my lowest points, in some of the deepest parts of my life where just it was complete despair and depression, that is exactly when I heard the voice of Jesus. Can anyone relate? I recently had someone tell me at church, that uh, her back went out, that she could no longer move around. But it was when her back went out, that was exactly when the Lord spoke to her. I've had people tell me that it was in the emergency room after the accident. I've had people tell me it was in the recovery room after the surgery. When no one else was there, Jesus spoke to them. For others, it was for those of you that when, even though you weren't married, you became unexpectedly pregnant. Others of you, it was after your friend was tragically killed. It was those moments when you felt so alone that you experienced the presence and the love of the hound of heaven. Jesus running after you. Jesus chasing after you. Jesus calling you back to him. Many of us in this room, we have powerful stories of exactly what I'm talking about, don't we? Number two, write this down. God also brings back the wanderer through his church. Through his church. Listen to the Bible. It says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I want to read that again. My brothers, my sisters, if anyone should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. This is important for us to hear this. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. There's another great passage where he says, Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Scripture is so very clear that God brings back the wanderer through us. Through you and through me, through his church, part of our role as the body of Christ is to stand with one another in our faith. And when someone has done something wrong or someone isn't living by the truth of God's word, when they've wandered, we address it. In love, we bring it up. Now, we, we always have to be careful about our attitude, our posture. Anytime you're bringing up someone else's sin, Jesus has some pretty good words about this. He says, come on, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye, when the whole time you got a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. I love Jesus. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right, so don't become, you know, just like with one eye, a professional speck finder, while the whole other time you're just swinging this plank around, causing damage everywhere you go. It's kind of funny, but how many times does that actually happen in the church? But, 
Whew. But with gentleness, humility, and love, the Bible shows us that in the family of God, we are called to speak with our brother, speak with our sister who has lost their way, and let the love of Christ compel us to bring it up when someone close to us has wandered from the path. If you're here today and you're prone to wander, I hope you can hear this today. I hope you can receive this today. God loves you enough to put people in your life who will hold you accountable when you wander in your sin. Might not always feel good. Might not always be what you want to hear. But what a gift it is to have someone in your life who's willing to speak the truth even when they know how much you aren't going to like what they have to say. As much as you can, I want to just encourage you. Try not to get defensive. It's so hard, right? Anyone, when people are calling us on our junk, how easy it is to get defensive. Try not to get defensive. Try not to push them away. How often do we just isolate ourselves when we hear anything, people calling us on our stuff? Try not to get defensive. Try not to push away. But receive from those in your life that you know are true, mature followers of Jesus. And praise the Lord, I've seen this happen in our church. In LifeSpring, so many times, people have been helped from sin, led into restoration. Praise the Lord. I I see it all the time at this church. In fact, many of of us in this room, including myself, we have powerful stories of exactly this. Does anyone else have stories of just people who loved you enough to actually call you on your stuff and and, and not just to condemn you and kick you out, but to restore you and, and bring you back into the fold? Anybody else besides me? Or am I the only one? It's incredible. God uses these men, these women, to bring us back on track. Remember, think about it. You might want to write this down. God loved you enough to put that person in your life. What if he wants to use you in the same way in another person's life? I want to close with this. What does it look like for God to bring back the wanderer? By the way, I will end up crying by the end of this message. Just want to forewarn you of that. Um, We're getting real here at the end here. What does it look like for God to bring back the wanderer? I want to write this down. He calls you to repentance. It's not a real popular word in the year 2018, but it's very popular in the Bible. In its most uncomplicated definition in the Greek, to repent is to change your mind. Repentance is the changing of your mind. We know that according to Scripture, a basic part of salvation, we were just talking about this morning, a basic part of salvation is to repent and be baptized. So you've got to change your mind. Change your mind about sin. Change about your mind about what and who you put your faith in. You've got to decide who you're going to trust. Are you going to trust in your own good works? Or are you going to change your mind and trust in the good work of Jesus and what he did on the cross? You must decide to look to Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Another way to think of repentance is that to repent is to turn. Maybe you've heard that before. To repent is to turn. This means that repentance isn't just saying you're sorry and then continuing in the same direction. 
I want to say that again. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry and then continuing in the same direction. When you repent, you actually change course. You change direction. So when you become a Christian, you don't just say yes to Jesus and then go on doing the same things you've always done. No, you change directions like we talked about last week. You are now what? A spiritual infant and you are now beginning to learn how to walk in a new direction, in a new way as you are new in Christ. But as much as there is repentance in salvation, as much as repentance is a huge part of the salvation experience, you need to understand this. And this is an argument, actually, in a lot of Internet blogs. But I, I, just, I just see it in Scripture. There is a place for repentance in the daily Christian experience. As Christians, there are times when we must repent. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, seven church congregations are mentioned. Christians. Five out of the seven are called to repent. Listen to what the Lord says to the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Praise the Lord. But I have this against you, says Jesus. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I think if we're honest, even if we're fooling everybody else, even today there might be areas where you and I need to repent. You know, even what makes me sick about verses like that is when you read that verse and you hear it, you're thinking of someone else. And that just ticks me off. Because there's places in my life where I need to just come before the Lord. The Bible even gives us instruction on what it looks like to come to God. Listen to this. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Amazing promise, a faithful promise of God that he'll come to you when you come to him. But he says what? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. How encouraging is this? Grieve, mourn, wail, change that laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. Before the Lord. And he will lift you up. But when was the last time you truly humbled yourself before the Lord? When was the last time you were honest about the areas of sin in your life? Where you came near to God in a godly sorrow. And you didn't come to God just so you could feel better about yourself, right? You didn't just come to God so you didn't feel so guilty about your sin. But you came to Him in true repentance so that the power of God could invade your life and actually change the trajectory of your road trip. When was the last time? When was the last time you just got on your face before the Lord and you humbled yourself and you said, I dare not move Until Jesus, you lift me up. I want to close by sharing my own personal journey with all this. If you've attended LifeSpring for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about my gambling addiction. You've heard me talk about how deeply trapped I was 
and all of that. I spent so much of my time, so much of my money on online poker. And for a long time, maybe you can relate, I had so many excuses for why it was okay for me to stay in that addiction. You ever been there before? Somehow for me, all my excuses and my self-pity, you ever been living in the pool of self-pity? My self-pity validated my sinful behavior. But I'll never forget the day, never forget the day that God's kindness and his love brought me to the most intense and heavy godly sorrow that it overwhelmed me and it led me straight to a place of humility, but it also led me to a place of repentance. And it was true repentance that took me from darkness to light, from a self-imposed prison instead to being on a true journey of freedom with Christ. Hallelujah. If you've ever lived with something like a gambling addiction or something like that, having something like that have such a hold on you, it's the worst nightmare you could ever imagine. But through it all, because of probably my parents and because of just my church experience up to that point, I knew that God loved me. I knew that he wasn't going to abandon me. And it was his loving kindness that led me, one, to a broken heart, but to true repentance. And I felt that it was just this loving kindness, this the voice of God leading me to a place of godly sorrow, a place that was just a bed, a foundation, an atmosphere where real and radical change could begin to grow. And so, so after gambling all night, Christmas Eve, 2003, all night, all morning, I came to my parents' house Christmas morning. And I, I woke them up. I said, Merry Christmas. I have a gambling problem. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I have a gambling problem. But I didn't stop there. I told my four older siblings, all, you know, doing ministry work, all these amazing people of God. I I didn't just tell them. I told their spouses. I told some of my nephews and nieces, the older ones. I told my pastors. I had to go back to Wyoming after that. Don't you know you want to look good in front of your pastor? But I told them, told my college ministry leaders, I was a student leader for InterVarsity Campus Fellowship, told them, moved out of my house that I was renting, moved out actually to live with one of my mentors, check this, who let me stay in his bed while he slept on the couch. I put my parents on my bank account so that they could see every one of my transactions. Here's the crazy thing, my mom still has access to our bank account, it's still linked to hers, by the way, for that very reason. Maybe you can relate. It's beautiful and terrible all at the same time. Here's the deal. I wasn't just sorry for my sin. I didn't want to just apologize and keep living the same way. I was so ready to turn. I was ticked off. I was ready to change course. And I had to humble myself like never before. I had to put it all out there. I had to put myself in a posture and an attitude where I would listen. Where I'd listen to pastors and leaders. We are so prideful and arrogant. But you have to humble yourself to listen to those around you. To my siblings. Have you ever tried to listen to your siblings? It's hard. 
really hard. I had to listen to my parents. I had to hear their advice. I had to hear their suggestions. And by the way, it wasn't even all good, right? Some of it was just like, wow, whatever. That's not from God. But out of a place of just desiring to change, trying my hardest not to get defensive, which back then, if you knew me back then, man, that was a struggle for me. But I humbly received their wisdom. Humbly received their wisdom. Church, I also received their prayers. The most beautiful and powerful prayers. So many people came around me. Just came into agreement with what we knew the Lord wanted to do in my life. And they spoke calling over my life again. And destiny over my life again. And guess what? After all that, I continued to struggle. <laughs> it didn't get much better. <laughs> that was Christmas Eve of 2003. That spring semester of 2004 was hell on earth. It was so hard. It was one of the hardest things I've never done. And I wanted to give up on life so much. But somehow, by the grace of God, I graduated. Even while I was pulling all-nighter online poker tournaments. But by God's grace, I Graduated cum laude from the University of Wyoming with my little pre-med biology degree. But then I went to work as a worship director at a church in Spokane. And I, I was just telling you, I, I pressed in. I was like, this is, this is happening. Like change is happening. And so in my interview, the first time I ever saw Pastor Mike face to face, the first thing I told him, I said, Mike, you got to know, I'm a gambling addict. To get the job. That's the first thing that I said. And an amazing thing happened. Praise the Lord. Mike welcomed me to the team. He just said, just be honest with me about the journey. So I was. And about five, six months into being at that church, I'll never forget, walk into his office. I said, Mike, I just want you to know, I had a setback. And he said, never forget this. He said, well, how long did you make it? I said, six months. He said, praise God. Let's go another six months. And that was 14 years ago. Praise the Lord. But church... I just, my heart breaks for so many of us that are just trapped, just trapped in directions that are not of God. And it's time for us to get real about our wandering. And come on, get real about the excuses that we have for our wandering. Some of you, I'll, I'll try to bring up a sin with you. And it's just like you pull out the list of 10, 20, 30 excuses for why it's okay for you to be the way you are, talk the way you are, acting the way you are. But instead, can we humble ourselves before the Lord, get aggressive with our repentance, get aggressive for change. And I just want to say this. If you're ready for a change of mind and a change of direction, we do have to get aggressive. We've got to let go first of our pride. We've got to get rid of the excuses. We've got to somehow take the ladder out of the pool of self-pity and get out of there. Instead, we got to get real with God. Maybe for some of us, we got to get real with the family of God. 
Right? Get real with the family of God so you don't just say you're sorry again and again and again as you continue down the same road of wandering, but instead you would be brave enough, brave enough by the power of the Holy Spirit, brave enough to actually take radical life-giving steps of freedom, steps that are needed to change direction, steps that are needed to turn from wandering and instead get back onto that road of abundant life. I don't even know what it looks like for you. I know all of our stories, all of our journeys, they're different. But there's a good chance, there's a good chance that it might involve you just taking some steps that look really hard. Maybe even taking steps that to you, they just seem impossible. But I have great confidence in the Holy Spirit and His ability to speak in moments like these. He's willing, He's able to right now, right now He is willing and able to lead you into the next right thing so let's seek the lord as the worship team comes up let's seek the lord in a posture in an attitude of humility but also repentance repentance where we'd allow the lord to lead us from here to lead us into the next steps they'd have for all of us for me for you so that each one of us could travel well would you bow your heads and pray with me lord jesus right now i i don't know who this message is for, but I know you've called me to give it. And it's because, Lord, you want to set us free. You want to set us free. This isn't a message on whether we're going to heaven or hell. This isn't a message on whether we're saved or not. But this is a message that you have destined and called us to something so much greater than what so many of us have settled for. And so, God, out of your loving kindness, Romans chapter 2 tells us you lead us to repentance. And Lord, repentance, it doesn't even fit into the American church model of God always wants you to be happy and prosperous and rich and never have anything bad happen to you. Lord, it just doesn't even fit. And yet it fits well in your Bible and it fits well in our lives as sons and daughters of God. That there are times when we just have to wave the white flag of surrender and say, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of wandering. I'm tired of living off of excuses and hurts and my broken heart and letting my discouragement and despair feed me and give me the strength I need for today. That I'm ready for something else to feed me. I'm ready for something else to encourage my soul. And Lord, we also just want in maturity want to say that and we get that it might be hard. And we get that even without your help, Jesus, it's impossible. But we're willing in this moment to take the next right step. To do the next right and we know, we just trust that your spirit right now, even as I'm praying, your spirit is telling us, your spirit is calling us to the next right thing. And we don't even have to have the whole thing figured out. We don't even have to understand where the journey is leading us. But we can, by your spirit here right now, from the voice of God, hear you tell us and direct us into the next right thing. And so come, Holy Spirit. Come in this moment. Come into this place. Speak to us. Speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us, Jesus.
You deserve the glory. 